feel the beat, move me. I love you when you're on your feet now. Let's go. Love have Holly Sack coming at you. Michael Pickering here with our good friend Gregory Day, a writer, director, bookseller, and the voice behind his Phil AD, the fanatical sect of the god of subcultures and fervent rambling of all breeds of cinematic pleasures. How are we doing today, Gregory Day? No, oh boy, I'm doing fine. How are you? Oh, I'm doing quite well, doing quite well. And what top 10 movie list do you have for us? Yeah, today we're doing top 10 punk movies. Punk movies, top 10 punk movies. What 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 is a punk movie? Come on, yeah. now, help us out. <laughs> yeah, punk movies. This is uh films that feature punk uh in them or punks in them. And so this is gonna be a top 10 list that that uh, represents uh punk music or punk fashion or punk culture in cinema. Interesting, interesting. And and so that tells us what the movies are by having punk in them, but what what is a punk? What is punk? Come on, help us out even more. Give us, give us the juiciness. Sure. Of it all. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess this could mean many different things to uh, different people, but um, punks in, in cinema, especially, is uh, related to like probably early seven or the the seventies punks and the early eighty punks of uh, anti-establishment, anti-conformity, anti, um, you know, just kind of anti government anti-politics just a rejection of every you know conforming idea of american um society at this time and the music uh is a throwback to early rock and roll it's loud it's fast it's it's not your parents music and so the films on this list are going to be uh reflecting on those on this subculture um and how it relates to the societies that they come out of there we go. There we go. I think that's a good, good way to put it all in perspective for people going into it. All right. And what do we have coming in at number 10? Yeah, number 10 is a film called Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains uh, from 1982. Um, this is uh, the film I chose to start this list off because it's punk as a band. And so this is a, this is a movie um, reflecting or exploring what it's like to be in a band. Um, this is uh, the Stains are or the Fabulous Stains are an all female punk band who are trying to get out of the economic hellhole of a, of a place they live in. And they have some success and they start touring and they start touring with an even uh, bigger punk band. And so the film kind of really gets into the dynamics of like, what's it mean to to be in a band? What's it mean to to conform or to be successful? Because uh, the second you're successful in a band, you maybe will lose some of your punk credit because punks. Uh, there's there, there is a um, uh, how would you what would you just call it like a uh, you know it's kind of ironic that punks don't want punk bands to be successful because they want them to be um, anti capitalist anti-conformism but if you're in a band you're in a business and and the only way to make that business sustainable is if you're successful so uh, the, this is a movie that really de deals with a lot of that it also deals with sexism in the in uh, the music world because the all-male band is starting to find that they are less successful than the backing female band on their tour um and yeah this is a great um early 80s film it stars diane lane and laura dern uh who are in the band and then uh, ray winstone the, the uh, great uh British actor plays the lead of the other punk band they're on tour with. And uh, yeah, it really, it really goes into, um, you know, the Reagan era uh, music scene. And um, yeah, it's just a, a great exploration of what it means to, are you successful? And what is the cost of success? 
Oh, the cost is, survey says, drumroll, <laughs> selling out. Selling out. That's that's the, and we'll talk about that more in some of these mm -hmm, other mm -hmm. ones. But I mean, mm -hmm. that, that was always the, the critique about punk music yes. is that you never want to sell out. But if you want to get famous, you sell out. And like I said, we'll get to that argument later. But I love this trailer because, you know, as the first trailer I watched and for listeners, you know, so Gregory Day sends me the list from 10 to 1 and he sends me the the trailers from number 10 to one. So I'll watch the trailers in order, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And so this is the first one. And wow, such a great punk movie. I was just like, I haven't seen it, but this trailer, <laughs> I was just like, this is so punk. I was like, hell yeah. And and I love the fact that the film industry was representing female punk rockers this early on in the movie. Yeah. yeah. In 1982, you know, mm -hmm. that's incredible. And, you know, like I said, I haven't seen it, but it really gave me the vibe that this film was about, you know, like you said, sexism, and it was about the music industry in general and about how the industry is always trying to take advantage of musicians. But these women were too punk rock to be taken advantage of. And I was just like, I want to check out this film. And, and what, 40 years old? I mean, yeah, yeah, that's killer, man. That's awesome. Great choice. Great choice. All right. What do we have coming in at number nine? Yeah, number nine is an uh, exploitation film called Class of 1984. Uh, which came out in 1982. Uh, and this is a film that uh, stars punks as the villains of the movie, uh, which is kind of which was kind of a staple of exploitation films for a, of a small period of time where uh, gangs were punks, uh, they had punk fashion and you know the haircuts and the and the colored hair and tattoos and 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 pierced, facial piercings and stuff. And they were always the the new juvenile delinquents of the 1980s. And so um, 1980 the class of 1984 is the is the best of those kinds of films. Um, it's a it's it's a story of a high school teacher who moves to this new uh, city and he gets a job with the, like the worst inner. Uh, inner city school and it's overrun with these gangs of punks and they're terrorizing the teachers and they're terrorizing the the uh square kids and it gets uh in he, he gets in deep with facing off with the leader of this of the main gang and uh, who's called stegman um who is a really brilliant guy he's actually a really uh talented musician yet he is just a, a complete monster beneath all of that and just utterly uh chaotic and uh things get super violent and out of control to where it becomes more than just a high school drama where it really becomes an exploitation film where people are getting killed and things and um it does star uh timothy van patten i just gotta throw this out there because he right now is i don't know if a lot of people know who he is but he plays stegman the leader of the gang but he is a really famous television director he's worked on the sopranos game of thrones the wire deadwood oh, wow. um, black mirror he's he's just one of the most successful television directors no kidding. Um, yeah and so like it's not someone you know people would know in their household, but they have definitely consumed a lot of the work that he's done. For uh, sure. But he's the lead in this, and he's got the power of like a young Ryan Gosling, like a you know, like almost like a teenage uh, virility he brings to this role, uh, and he's fantastic in it. And uh, yeah, it's like one of the most memorable, probably exploitation villains um, that I could think of. Okay, so. I haven't like I, I got everything you said from this one trailer because I haven't seen this yet. But like in the order that you were saying it, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is so kind of like a high school rules film. And it gives you like that 1980s vibe where a lot of 80s flicks were about high school and how great yeah. it was. And, and, <laughs> and it really I mean, full disclosure out there, people, we were not in high school in the 80s. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to just go ahead and say that 80s high school sucked, right? Mm -hmm. um, but so, like, 
it starts off like a high school film and then it shifts into like a gang film and then you're like what the fuck and then it's like punk rock and then i'm like okay and then it's like you know dangerous minds or like the substitute teacher and it's like where is this going and then suddenly it switches to suspense horror feeling and i'm like what the heck is going on in this film i was like dude there was so much in this one trailer and it really kind of got me a little scurdy cat. I ain't going to lie. And you know, I don't <laughs> like scary movies. So I don't know if I'm going to check this one out, but like I could definitely get the feel of, of how punk can be interpreted in many different ways. And I think mm-hmm. you're right in the 1980s punk was associated to, in some places with gang life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. you would see the rise of punk gangs. Uh, and it also made me think like that, that movie uh, warriors that was also pretty popular. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, and like Warriors were more of like a punk gang and there was a lot of punk in that. Uh, so yeah, I definitely got that mixed with a bit of a horror film and I was like, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so what do we got coming up at number eight? Yeah, number eight is a film called Burst City, uh, also from 1982. Uh, this is uh, a film as punk art. Um, and so it's made, um, this is a film in, made from in Japan. This is uh, it's like a pseudo documentary of a bunch of hardcore Japanese bands mixed with this punk biker gang uh, plot. It's all kind of messy and DIY, and uh, it's a very anti-establishment film. It um, moves at hundred miles per hour. It's a very difficult watch, honestly, if you're if you're not uh, the type of person who wants to watch a dingy, um, sometimes aimless kind of punk odyssey. Um, but it's a great film to, to check out because it's it's you're watching a film made by someone who is just aggressively uh, standing up to the norms of Japanese society um, and showing this kind of, even though it looks a little bit like it's a futuristic anti, you know, know, post-apocalyptic kind of film, but it's really supposed to be set in modern times and about these street gangs and just kind of throwing away, you know, the traditions of, of society. And um, yeah. And then of course it's like a, where he just recorded a bunch of like really great uh, hardcore bands in Japan. And so, um, this is the only film on this list that is uh, from a non-English speaking country. So I wanted to have the one foreign entry on this list and uh, you can't get it. You can't do any better than checking out Burst City. Japanese punk rock. I dig this so much because uh, a Japanese punk band, High Standard is one of my favorite punk bands mm-hmm. off of Fat mm-hmm. Records. You know, they, they mm-hmm. hit pretty huge in the 1990s, especially to be a Japanese punk band to you know, make it big over here. Well, I say big, but like punk rock big. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I hadn't seen this one either, but the trailer definitely gave me vibes of like the anime Akira um, yes, mixed with yes. like a little bit of like Tetsuo the Iron Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. But all of that means like p- punk rock. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like, dude, I, I kind of dig this. I was like, I-, I may check this film out. And like you said, you know, 1982, punk rock's hitting the film scene. Well, I was, certainly don't see any punk movies today, but we'll get to that <laughs> later. Um, excellent choice, my friend. Excellent choice. Where are you taking us to for number seven? Yeah, number seven, we're doing The Road Warrior from 1981 or Mad Max Part Two. Um, is it 91 is- or 81? 81, 1981. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, the original Mad Max came out in like 79. So this one comes out in 81. And uh, this is punk. This is a representation of the influence of punk fashion on film. And so uh, the first film had a lot of like uh, biker culture um, influence on the costume design. But now that the second film takes place even further into the the apocalypse uh, or further in time from the um, from when the apocalypse happened, um, 
the gangs in this film are much more heavily influenced by punk aesthetic and uh it takes the the punk gang kind of feeling that you would see in a movie like class of 1984 but amps it up uh you know 10 10 times more where it's uh the mohawks the the dirty leather just uh super aggressive nasty um in your face kind of kind of punk gang and this is also this is a film from australia and so uh this is even taking it even further to just has this nasty attitude and so if you've never seen the the mad max films um it's it, especially this one this is this is a high octane action film and, and it's all about everyone fighting over uh the scarcity of gasoline and this these punks in this film are really nasty uh even worse than than what you would see in in like burst city because there's there's a lot of um you know, assault and murder coming from these gangs. Uh, but yeah, this is a great example to see like the influence of punk fashion in cinema. Dude, Mad Max Road Warrior. I haven't seen this one since, I don't know, probably like late nights with USA. I know most mm-hmm. people are going to know what that is, but it's like <laughs> cable television uh, back in the day. And, uh, yeah. you know, like you said, a post-apocalyptic film with crazy interpretations of, what we as human beings are going to do after we destroy ourselves. And it's so punk rock. And I even think like a, a tad bit of steampunk inspired as well in the fashion and the fashion. Um, oh, yes, yes. But man, I can definitely see why this is, makes your punk movie list. This, you know, this film series really was what launched Mel Gibson into the world, you know, like whenever yeah. he then gets into like his lethal weapons and his brave hearts and, and everything thereafter. And he's even speaking with an Australian accent. Uh, yes. You know, and it's funny because like after a few decades, like people, we just forget that he was Australian and he made these Mad Max movies. And dude, this is most certainly a punk as hell movie. I haven't gone back and see it. Did you by chance see it recently to see how it holds up? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love it. I actually love this this one in the first Mad Max film. They're great, uh, great car movies. And uh, in to me, like some of the greatest post-apocalyptic films ever made. That's one thing about like filming with actual uh, like at locations or on locations like in the desert and feeling doing practical effects with real cars versus like Mm -hmm. CGI and stuff like that. So like I find that kind of stuff holds up a lot better 40 years later than like, I don't know if you're your Star Trek or your Star Wars in the 1970s or 80s trying to use special effects like "Eh, that shit looks pretty shitty these days. (laughs) But, you know, if you use practical effects like the costumes and the punk fashion influence and, and the cars and the desert and the dust rolling up from the tires spinning out, like it still holds up visually, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I will say like, if you were into car movies, you're out there and you're like, I love watching fast cars and like, you know, uh, practical crashes. The opening sequence of the first Mad Max is untouchable. It's just, it's an incredible uh, stunt work. And then of course, um, this one, the sequel, like the last 40 minutes or so is just one giant chase. It's, it, you know, it, and that really influences the later, the last Mad Max movie that came out, which is just uh, Fury Road, which is all like a chase. So yeah, uh, that, that kind of comes back to this film where the majority of the movie is one long chase uh, as the gang is trying to get uh, the, the tanker full of gasoline. And yeah, it's, it's a great action sequence. You made me think of it. I have a little trivia question for you. And I, it just came to me. So you were like, if you like, car movies and big chases and car crashes and things like that do you know by chance and this is estimated of course but do you know by chance the most expensive movie franchise ever as a byproduct of all the cars they destroy in their franchise hmm 
that's a good question. Um, would it have to be the Fast and the Furious? It is because there's okay. like nine million <laughs> of them first off, but yeah, they destroy yeah. so many cars and yeah. and like just even if they like re it, like a lot of the fancy fancy cars that they destroy, they're actually not the real cars, right? They just mm -hmm. get a like plastic shell of them made and they put it on a chassis and they yeah. destroy that. But still, it's actually it's still a car. And mm -hmm. if you destroy like over a thousand cars, that bill adds up pretty quickly. <laughs> um, but again, it's estimates. I just it just made me think of it. Yeah. Anyway, back to punk stuff. What you got yes, coming at us yes. at number six? Number six is uh, Suburbia from 1983. Uh, not to be confused with the Rich and Linkletter film Suburbia from the 90s. Uh, this is a true punk movie. This is a movie um, that really tries to explore the truth and honest portrait of what it would be like to be a runaway punk um this is a film that started off as a roger corman exploitation film about punks but uh the director penelope spheris who uh directed wayne's world and a lot of other 90s comedies and she directed these the great punk documentaries the decline of western civilization um she makes a pseudo documentary with all these young actors um about oh, a found family of runaway punks and exploring this hellhole of reagan era suburban life where the different families and basically like the the decline of the the moral the moral decline of american families and on both sides it shows because it kind of shows like liberal families and uh, conservative families and uh, apolitical families and just kind of how all these things affect this the youth of america at the time and these people running away they run away from home they join these punk uh punk groups and they're really they have the camaraderie of going to shows together and uh, um they really face off with the town like the the you know the the rednecks of the town who don't like them and and the cops who who don't like them and and so yeah this is a really great portrait of of like what it would be like to be a homeless kid running away and, and finding yourself in this in this subculture yeah this uh this movie kind of hit me hard, you know, like we've talked about before, like punk was such a big, or it still is such a big influence on our lives and all growing up. But, you know, one of the first things that did catch me in the trailer is that uh, kids with mohawks, and, and when I say kids here, I mean like little, little kids. And, and mm -hmm. yeah. my friend, I still know people who cut their little kids' hair into mohawks. Like, <laughs> like I see like a, a three-year-old or a five-year-old walking around with a mohawk and I'm like, Who's your mom? I like I like I know who you are related to. I was like, where's your dad? I was like, I know who you are. Like, uh, but I, I didn't at first I thought I saw this one, but then I realized it's exactly what you said. It's the other suburbia that I had seen. Um, so I haven't seen this one, but man, this trailer was such it was a journey onto itself. And I, I could only imagine that the movie would even be a little bit harder to take, but it, like some punk kids living on the fringe of suburban society fighting against like the local establishment but not just like also their families as part of the establishment you know i was yeah, like absolutely. i was born out of the the 1970s and you know that's a very well-known message to all of us and it's a very punk message to be dealing with with those topics you know even after like the civil rights movements or the women's rights movements or the lgbtq2 plus movement or, or all equality movements after like the 50s 60s and 70s there was still so much wrong with society. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people who fought for all those equality movements, by the 1980s, they gave up and they moved to suburbia. Yeah. Yeah. And There's I a, kind of feel like I kind of feel like punk 
is a response to that and a response to those people giving up. And it's, it's the next generation saying you sold out. Like what the, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Like you were, you were once about civil rights. You were once about women's rights. You were once about LGBTQ plus rights. What happened to you? Why, why? And so like this movie, you know, like I said, it's a very, it's a very known message. I, I feel it a lot. But what were you going to say? Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say there's a great uh, scene in this film. One of the kids, he basically runs away from home. His mother's an alcoholic and uh, he's just tired of being abused by her. Hey, but he steals her diary. And there's this scene where they're, he and some of the other punks are just joyriding around in the neighborhoods. And um, he starts reading his mother's diary out loud to his friends. And they're kind of joking, making fun of his mom. And, the, and he's reading this thing where it's before he was born. And she's saying how happy she is with her husband and that this is the greatest place on earth, this suburb, and that it's got everything you could ever need um, and how, you know, how bright the future looks. But while he's reading this, the, the camera is just uh, pointing out of the window of the car. And so it's just tracking through all these houses that look the same and all of these rundown vehicles um, parked on the street. And just this really this how this place just really fell into disrepair, how no one really gives a shit about any of it. Um, and it's you know it's 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 lost its promise of what it was supposed to be um yeah it's, it's, it's just a great scene and kind of like encapsulates the entire film this this um society that's in disrepair that sounds that sounds intense and it sounds like a great um <laughs> yeah. a great filming technique to tell the story like parallel the story mm -hmm. of just showing showing what you're reading um like a narration you know yeah that's awesome. That's awesome. So what you got for us at number five? Yeah, number five is SLC Punk from 1998. It's uh, What does punk... SLC mean? Yeah, SLC, Salt Lake City. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is the reason I picked this film is because this is the punk fan film, basically. Uh, it's set in the 1980s, but it came out in 1998. Uh, it stars Matthew Lillard as a teenage punk, and him and his friends are just trying to live um, in Salt Lake City, a city that is very uh, famous for its conservatism. It's, uh, you know, the home of the Mormons. And in the 80s, uh, I can't imagine what it would have been like. Uh, trying to rebel against that whole uh, system and so yeah this is a film about these these kids who are trying to find themselves um, and deal with the fact that they're gonna have to grow up at some point but what does that mean if you're a punk like how do you grow up uh, and still maintain your integrity as a punk and I think um, the big message of this film is it's like what what is a sellout you know um, when it's time for you to mature what does it mean to sell out or how do you stay um true to your your uh your morals but also you you got to grow up at some point so it's a it's a great film because i think it's 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 probably nostalgic to the filmmakers who made it um but it's also a great coming of age story um that does put some harsh realities in perspective of you know of youth rebellion slc punk this this one was a staple of the new school punk movement like without a doubt that you mm -hmm. know I grew up with this and uh, I, I, it was a huge point of argument for everyone, you know, that on how the movie ended and I won't spoil oh, yes. how it yeah. ended, you know, <laughs> just in case yes. people do want to check it out because uh, it is the most recent one on your list. So like, yes. and I think it still holds up in um, the cinematography and the quality of the film. Like I think it holds up really well because uh, I mean, what it's only like 24 years old. So mm -hmm. But everyone I knew saw this movie and everyone I knew quoted this movie. And <laughs> like, 
I knew the moment you said you were doing this list that this movie had better be on the list. And I yeah. think number five, <laughs> number five is a pretty good, it's a pretty fitting place. But, but you know, like for us, like a lot of the people who were the generation right, right before us, and even those before them, like their movies growing up were things like, you know, like um, Dirty Dancing or The Breakfast Club or, or Say Metal Mo's Fire or pretty in pink or or even a little bit later like dazed and confused but like none of those films were influential to to me or to like any of the people that I grew up around but SLC Punk that this was like the major conversation piece for years and it created so many arguments and I think I may have lost some friends over this one you know (laughs) like arguing can a punk survive age 18 to 21 and I don't Mm -hmm. know I don't know um it's still an argument, like I said. Yeah, yeah. And I will say that this is also a highly inventive film. It's got a lot of great um, experimentation. It's got a lot of great gags. It's got a lot of great... Uh, there's some special effects in here that are really cool. Um, and so, yeah, this is a this is a film from an artist that I wish would have had been able to make more movies. Because um, I don't think they made... They made a sequel, which I never saw uh, 20 years later or something. Um, but uh, yeah, it's and it's got a great performance by Matthew Lillard. If you're not familiar with him, he was in Scream. He was uh, he played Shaggy in the live action Scooby Doo movies. Uh, but for me, this film, especially when you get to the end of the film, his performance is is just fantastic. It really is. And again, like I don't want to spoil it for people because like it's it's pretty profound. Um, and there is this is not an easy movie to digest at some points in it like it really takes itself seriously at some points and it like is a hard look at the fact that when we say like punk it's not just a type of music it's it's a lifestyle it's a it's a series of choices but it's also dealing with the ramification of those choices or ignoring them and just going down a rabbit hole um and this movie really delves into what some of those rabbit holes lead you to Mm -hmm. um some good some bad but you know this is one I definitely saw probably too many times, but you know. <laughs> but where are we going to with number four? Yeah, we're, uh, this is one of the greatest rock and roll movies of all time. It's uh, not the first punk movie, but it's probably the most impactful of the first wave of real punk movies. This is Rock and Roll High School from 1979. Um, it doesn't really deal with a lot of actual punk culture in this film because uh, it's not really made by punks, but it does center around the Ramones, uh, arguably the first great punk band. And so this is a this is sort of a cartoon fun like like a live action cartoon fun satire uh, about uh, rebellion in high school and these teens who are just trying to get laid and have fun and their favorite band in the world is the Ramones um, and the Ramones are treated like the Beatles in this film like they're the biggest fucking band in the world which we all know the Ramones were never as big as the Beatles um, around the world but they um, were um, really I'm famous. sorry what was <laughs> I, I I sorry you cut out what was that second band you said something with a b I, I don't i don't know who they were um i don't know maybe, maybe the internet just decided to bleep you on purpose because the ramones you just leave that alone buddy yes <laughs> yeah, yeah uh but it's like Beatlemania. excuse me it's like Beatlemania in this film like the kids are just going crazy because the ramones are there um which in itself is a joke right because they're the ramones are these um unrefined new york guys who are here um making loud obnoxious music and um well, what's great about this film is that it's it's not only a, a high school rebellion film, but it's also got uh, extended 
concert footage of the Ramones. So uh, when you get into the core of the film, you're getting these great uh, Ramones footage. So yeah, this is a great film. It's a hell of a lot of fun. And uh, if you're looking for one punk movie, I would say that you know this might be the one to, to check out. Now, first I'll say I have seen this one. It has been a while. Um, mm -hmm. But second, I am positive you had this on another list before. I just yes. can't remember which one. I, I know we definitely um, talked about this, but I, don't, I also can't remember which one. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I have, I, I can't put my finger on it, but I know we've talked about it before. But I mean, so many early rising 1980s movie stars in this movie. And with the Ramones as the backdrop band of it, I mean, as far as punk goes, there were two arguments out there as far as punk rock. All right, listeners, if, you, if you're not familiar with this, let me, let me school you on a little old school punk argument here. In the UK, there was the Sex Pistols. In the US, there was the Ramones. And the argument was, who was more important and who really started the punk movement? I mean, I could not tell you how many times I've had this argument with people and we would get pissed as hell and, and depending on your answer. And I know I lost some friends on this one because <laughs> I didn't choose either one of those sides. Mm -hmm. So like, for me, I was always the new school punker. I was like big into um, no effects and rancid, which came in the, the mid and later 80s, but really hit their stride in the 90s. And it's the 90s punk movement that is really my punk movement. So like Fat Records, Epitaph, um, your, your lag wagons, you're you know, mixing a little bit of your Lester Jake in there with some ska music. Uh, I mean, face to face, strung out. There's so many like 90s bands i would just like rattle off i'd be like oh these are way better than sex pistols or the ramones what are you talking about and then like my friends would leave me and then like i would be alone um and this is whenever you well i'm not going to tell you the technology well if you don't know what a walkman was sometimes i listen to music alone with my walkman because i lost friends um but yeah this is this is a, a great movie i haven't seen it in a very long time i don't know how well it ages uh because if if memory serves like it may kind of fit into one of those categories of like high school comedy and and things that were funny back in the 70s and 80s or not things that we would necessarily think are funny today um and some things and and granted like punk part of punk is dealing with a critique on society and what society thinks is acceptable versus not acceptable um, i think punk always highlights that so i mean for any of you checking out like some of these older films you always have to remember that you know, when you get exposed to a scene or when you get exposed to an idea or language, even the way people talked 40 years ago, it was different. And you'd be hard pressed to find directors to put that kind of language in a film today um, because it's just completely politically unacceptable. But in the same token, like punk is always going against what is politically acceptable. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, that's just kind of what punk rock is. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think this is. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh, so I think this movie holds up incredibly well. Uh, it, it it manages to skirt some of the things that we would find uh, that it were outdated um, socially and politically. There are a few things in the film that I think maybe some audiences won't like as far as like depictions of guys who just want to get laid. Um, but the film is also making fun of those kinds of, kinds of guys um, and that whole kind of like Porky's attitude of high school comedies of the time. So yeah, I think this movie holds up really well because it's just kind of, it's just satirizing everything. Everything in the movie is, is just like, you know, like a Looney Tune satire. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's other than like the fashion. I think it's uh, audiences could still love this one. Other than fashion. Oh, we didn't <laughs> we didn't 
Yeah. I don't want to talk about fashion. No. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm a professor. I don't have, a, I don't have fashion. I'm a punk professor. Yeah. That's what yeah. I do. Right. All right. Where's your number three taking us this time? Yeah, number three uh, might be the the best film on this list, but uh, I'll get into why I picked the other two ahead of this one. But this is a film called Out of the Blue from 1980. Um, and this film kind of talks about the history of counterculture in this context that in going into the 80s um and so it's about a, a young girl who's uh failing uh school she may be in middle school um but she's got a she's from a broken home she lives in this dead town and she's just uh trying to find her way through this town but she's also just lashing out and so she's constantly fighting everyone her friends the adults uh drinking and um just you know kind of in this um spiral of uh you know kind of dropping out of society but um she's really into punk music and she's finding her home there but she's also mourning the loss of elvis who died in the late 70s and um and so it's it's you know the, i think the the use of elvis in the film is kind of like talking about how the institutions of america are abandoning um the society and so this this is a film directed by dennis hopper and he stars as the the girl's father he's an alcoholic and, he, and he's abusive to her and uh he's making this film about this crumbling american uh middle class and how the kids are getting spit out of it and so um as a young actor he was in rebel that a cause he played one of the gang members in that film and then of course he wrote and directed easy rider and so i think this film uh is it goes in line with the as a great trilogy of with the other two films that kind of show from the 50s to the 80s um where american counterculture is um going from like the rockabilly stuff of the 50s with these uh pompadoured um greasers who get into knife fights and then we have the counterculture bikers of the of the late 60s going to the 70s from easy rider and then now we have this punk movement um happening in this film and uh there's only really one scene in this film where she goes to a punk show and she's really that's where she finds her home really um the punks take her in the band takes her in um and you feel that there is this found family out there in this counterculture uh but it's not really enough to escape um the harsh realities of of where she lives and where she's from so um i sent you a uh another piece another video to kind of show like what I thought the lineage of this kind of, of punk rock was starting with the fifties and how that's in the seventies, when the, the original punks began, uh, that's what they were looking for. They were looking to go back to that primitive um, kind of music that, that, that ex anger, the expression of anger uh, of being uh, forced to conform with American society. And so um, this is, a, I think a great film that touches upon punk, but like in the con in a greater context of American society. Yeah, I, I, this was another trailer. I like, sadly, I haven't seen this one, but this, this trailer was a journey as well, um, which I think is like, first off, amazing to be able to cut a trailer together for a film and to take the viewer through a meaningful journey without having to just rely on like catchy phrases or, or cliche jokes or like a big boom and flash, you know, special effects to be like, oh yeah, I want to see this movie, but to like, to draw you in and say, no, no, watch what this is about. And it definitely seems like a more dramatic and serious punk film in comparison to the other entries on this list. And, you know, it's about us finding our identity in a world that really seems like 
society is void of it. You know, like the 50s had a theme, the 60s had a theme, the 70s was rewriting its theme, and then the 80s comes and everyone's kind of left without a theme. And punk was a way of trying to figure out exactly who are we in, in all of this mix of stuff, this progression of American society, and is it really a progression at all? And I also wanted to say, like, at this point in, in watching the trailers, I had noticed the film came out in 1980, and I was like, all right, we're up to seven films, and all but one of them are from, like, 1979 or the 80s. And I was like, I almost was going to ask you why, but I know why, and I want to tell listeners why. Mm -hmm. And aside from the fact that you're, you're richly steeped in cinema history, but I think it's, it's different here. And that's because, like, if I were to ask many of you listeners out there before listening to this, or if you listen to the, the punk music trade-off, you know, before listening to that, if I were to ask you, you know, what is punk? What's punk music? So many times over the past decade or two, whenever I talk about punk music, people are like, well, what is that? And it's like, you really don't know, do you? And, mm -hmm. and the answer is no. Um, punk really gets kicking off in the 70s, but the 80s, the 80s, it really takes off. And all these films are a reflection of that. The fact that punk is the new music on the scene, it's starting to hit, it's, you know, anti-establishment. And, and cinema is always showing us a reflection of society. And so punk music takes off in the 80s and in the 90s, in the 90s, it's still going. But by the late 90s, early 2000s, like it dies. And punk and, and ska music as well, it kind of disappears. And some of the bands are still around, but not too, too many of them. Um, as far as genres go, like the music is almost dried up. And I think that's probably a reflection, or rather that's why a lot of your movies about punk are from the heyday of punk because cinema does reflect American culture and American culture has moved on from that because punk and ska music have kind of disappeared from our culture in many ways. What do you think about that? No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, that's why like SLC punk is a film that's uh, nostalgic, right? It's, it's, it's looking at time from 10 years. It's, you know, it's set 10 years before it was made. And so, um, yeah, I think as being in the public conscious, it, it definitely dropped out uh, even by the late 80s. So like uh, most of the films are like in the early to mid 80s in this in this list. And so punk films aren't really around anymore. They didn't I really survive the 80s. It was kind of like a flash uh, in the pan during that time. And then, of course, I think public consciousness moved towards uh, what I consider like punk's uh, sibling, which is hip hop. Um, as the 90s came in and then there's this new this is new extreme music that's catching on. Um, and then that, of course, took over um, movies and television and so forth. So, yeah, um, the 80s were definitely the, the heyday of, of cinema um, exploiting this subculture. Well, I think you're you're absolutely right to say, like, hip hop is the sibling of, of punk. They are sibling genres. They're both talking about the exact same things for the most part, as far as going against the establishment, going against, you know, this society of this is supposed to be the way it is and just saying no. And I, I can tell you, I don't know a single person who listened to punk who didn't also listen to hip hop and rap. Like mm -hmm. all of us did, you know, without, without yeah. a doubt. Um, you know, to think about like the, the earlier days, like 
it was not uncommon to see someone to have a no effects CD right next to a Snoop Dogg CC, uh, CD. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's very, very commonplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's a good, it's a good comparison. I'll take it, yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, one last thing about Out of the Blue and its punk attitude is that uh, a lot of the film is circled around uh, or, or surrounds the Neil Young song, Hey, Hey, My, My. Um, and there's a uh, lyric in that song that says it's better to burn out than fade away, which is kind of the theme of the movie. And is a theme of a lot of, I think, punk outlook um, or is related to a lot of punk outlooks where you, you know, we talked about aging out of being a punk and um, there's this fatalistic mindset of um, your punk lifestyle your Sid and Nanties and sort of like this um you know dying at a young age you know burning out instead of fading away like and there's nothing more embarrassing than being an old punk right in this in this kind of culture and so um yeah it's a it's a film that's just like headed towards some kind of fatalistic ending for this punk lifestyle and I think it's a great r- really great uh drama that it, that uh, explores that mindset I think that's a great way of putting it yeah this is one of the films on, that i've seen from you gotten from you that i'm going to check out thank you <laughs> a lot my friend all right where are you taking us for number two yeah number, number two is my favorite movie on this list it's return of the living dead from 1985 <laughs> it's uh kind of the opposite of class of 1984 it's the the classic 80s punk movie but it's a horror comedy uh and where the punks aren't necessarily the villains of the film because clearly the zombies are uh but it's uh a great like high school punk movie but without the high school in it so there's it's a group of of punks who are um forced to um you know shack up with these inept boomers to survive the night of the zombie apocalypse is, is happening and so uh it's just got some great punk characters it's uh it's a great uh satire of reagan's america and this divide d- between the older um the baby boomers and the new generation the punks and um yeah they're just it's, it's just a really fun movie the zombies are great um and it's great watching a movie where the punks are the are the leads they're like running around trying to survive the night and uh, it's got great fashion and um you know, there's a, and even though it's like a, a horror comedy and it's and it's it's uh it's it's got these great uh, joke gags in it and it's really bloody. Um, there's kind of uh, you know underlying political jabs at uh, the state of the of the union at the time where they're like we should call the police and the punks are like we can't call the police they're going to kick our ass um, <laughs> and just kind of like these things are kind of woven into the film where like even though they're jokes but you you know it, it it's taking itself. Um, pretty seriously with what it's what it's trying to go after um in its in its satirization so yeah this is a this is one of the if not the funnest horror film um that i can imagine i must say i was not at all surprised that you included what <laughs> appeared to be a, a genre horror flick comedy parody I, I mean not at all uh and at first i thought this was because of the name the uh, return of the living dead i thought this might be a serious zombie movie mixed with punk um i had heard of this movie but i'd never yeah. seen it because you know me in horror movies i don't do them so like <laughs> the the idea that like i started seeing the punks and i was like okay where is this going and then like i started seeing like slapstick comedy kind of things and like yeah. <laughs> i was like you know what i actually might be able to watch this one i was like okay okay yeah, and i think that's funny your uh your favorite genre parody film that's that's cool yeah that's yeah yeah, I mean, also it's got a great soundtrack. It's got the Cramps, the Damned, Forty Five Grave. It's just, a, yeah, it's a it's a great package all around. 
I dig it. I dig it. Like I said, I may have to check it out. Yeah. All right. What do you have for your number one punk movie? Yeah. Number one is the great punk art film Repo Man from 1984. This is another great satire of American culture uh, using punk uh, aesthetic and explorations of punk lifestyle in the anti uh you know, with an anti-Reagan message. And so uh, there's nothing more uh, capitalistic to me than repossessing someone else's property. And so uh, it's about a punk who gets a job as a repo man. Um, and he's kind of meeting these different wild guys who do this for a living. And it puts him in a position of reflecting upon whether he is a punk or is he a repo man? Uh, what camp is he in? Is he a capitalist or is he an anti-capitalist? Is he like his parents or is he not like his parents? Um, and yeah, and so like that, that's the plot of the movie, but really like they're also looking for this uh, this mystery car that has some sort of potential alien technology in the trunk that's evaporating people. <laughs> and um, yeah, it gets it gets really crazy. And um, yeah, it just, you know, for, it feels like it's from another planet and it's funny and it's, uh, you know, it has a lot of jabs at consumerism and the conformity of the time. And so, yeah, it's also got a lot of great... Um, punk music in the film and so uh and, and of course it's got great performances by Emilio Estevez and Harry Dean Stanton and um yeah this is a, this is one of the all-time great punk movies it makes me sad that I haven't even heard of this movie what? before no <laughs> never heard of it um but in the trailer when they like they lift up the trunk of the car but they don't show you what's in the trunk but you see mm -hmm. this like bright light and and I was like MacGuffin right away I, and it, it like so made me think of um Pulp Fiction by Quentin Tarantino you know yeah. you never get mm -hmm. to see what's in the what's in the suitcase I like got that feeling um completely but it also made me think I wanted to ask you to explain to listeners out there what is a MacGuffin and how or why do you use a MacGuffin inside of a film yeah, a MacGuffin is a very simple thing. It's the one thing that all the characters want in the plot of the movie. Um, and so it's a great device to use uh, to push all your characters into action. And so they're all circling around the thing. Um, and Hitchcock, he's the one who came up with that term, the MacGuffin, because many of his films had that was the plot there. Everyone was after this one thing. And then all the story was kind of built around that. Um, and so... Uh, he also said the MacGuffin wasn't important. Didn't matter what it was. It was just a thing that everyone perceived value over. Um, and so in this case, it's you're looking for this thing in the trunk, but it's not really about what the thing is. It's really about why everyone else uh, is putting this um, value on the thing and what it says about them. And that's why you don't get to see what's in the trunk or like yeah, in, Pulp yeah. Fiction, <laughs> in Pulp Fiction, you don't get to see what's in the suitcase because... Right. It doesn't really matter what it is. It just matters mm -hmm. that it's what everyone wants. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's always why a MacGuffin has always pissed me off because <laughs> it's like, if it doesn't matter, then people shouldn't want it. And they're like, ah, oh. yeah. but I digress. Um, yeah. I will say no, that this MacGuffin is a little different because it does, without spoiling the ending, it does come through that it does have some effect on what happens once you kind of, it's still a little ambiguous, but it, it, it kind of has a bigger impact than say like Pulp Fiction or... Um, whether it's the Maltese Falcon or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I dig it. I dig it. Uh, no, it's just what I thought of. And, and the trailer was definitely interesting as can be. And, you know, this was during Emilio Estevez's time where in the 80s, he was actually working a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people thought Emilio Estevez was going to go on and do a whole lot more than he did. <laughs> um, 
But you know, Hollywood is Hollywood. Yeah. And punk is punk. And that's Gregory Day's top 10 list. That's a great list, my friend. But why don't we start off with a few questions for you? And, and really, I'd want to say, like I always like to say, why this list? Why'd you pick this list this time? Yeah, I mean... So let's, let's it's, yeah. for, for a lot uh -huh. of new listeners, mm -hmm. this may be their first list of yours that we talk about. So our last list that you did was... Um, 10 important female directed films and mm -hmm. one before that was um 10 of the greatest films ever and then now you got top 10 punk films why why punk films yeah i think it's something that obviously that we just we were just talking about is not around anymore so it's you know it's in the past but also this is a list i really wanted to make to talk to you specifically about because of our shared love of, of the music genre and there's a lot of uh rich punk films out there um from this small window in time when when movie makers were focusing on this and so yeah I, this is a it, it's not exactly a genre of movies because they kind of fit in different genres but it is a subculture of films that i really do enjoy and so i wanted to make sure to share that with everyone all right so i'm going to give you the punk test i didn't warn you about this one before okay. but yeah the punk test and for you mm -hmm, listeners mm -hmm. out there if you're not sure what any of this means don't worry. No one knows what any of this means. <laughs> it's punk. It's dead. All right. So question number one, Ramones or Sex Pistols? Ramones. Ah, good answer. Good answer. <laughs> question number two, Op Ivy or Rancid? Oh, uh, I gotta go Op Ivy. Oh, correct answer too. <laughs> okay. Rancid or no effects? Rancid. Oh, wrong answer. Wrong answer. <laughs> Fat Records or Epitaph? Epitaph. Oh, wrong answer again. <laughs> All right, final question. You better get this one right. Is punk dead? No. Great, perfect answer. No, it is not. So long as we live, the movement thrives. And and punk is punk is supposed to be on the fringes. Punk punk is not supposed to be mainstream. So I mean, like, okay, okay. Another question. New last question. What was the alternative pan who proved that you can sell out of punk by not being punk or being too punk? Or you know what I mean, but what's the band who sold out that everyone, it started such a crazy shift and schism in the punk culture in the 90s? Was it Green Day? It is most certainly Green Day. Oh, yeah. Yes, for those who don't know, mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. a lot of people do know who Green Day is, um, but Green Day for their first and second album were very, very punk. Um, but then they started getting a little bit of pop and then they hit the mainstream and then boom, they hit the scene and then alternative started to become a music genre, alternative music. And they were interviewed and they, they were asked, you know, what do you think about being uh, an alternative band? And they're like, we're not a alternative band, we're the alternative band. And the punk community exploded. And, and yeah. at that point in time, you could not be a pumpkin like Green Day, not outwardly. Remember those days? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I think they were probably the most important mainstream punk band since Nirvana. Like Nirvana ends and then here comes Green Day. Um, so many high yeah. schools had their like prom songs to that Green Day song. Yeah, that was when I wasn't road. a fan of them anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely too mainstream at that point. Um, yes, and graduation yes. songs. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, yeah. All right. Well, you got most of your punk thing correct. Uh, so that's good. <laughs> you didn't say Sex Pistols, so I'm happy about that. All right. But I always, always do like to ask you, though, do you have any runners up as far as punk movies go? Yeah, yeah there are two that I couldn't fit in this list. One was 
uh, because I felt it was a little redundant to include it was uh, the trauma film class of Newcomb High, which is another punk high school juvenile delinquent movie with uh, nuclear waste monsters in it. And so, um, yeah, it's a great film. It's a lot of fun. It's another satire of both the punk culture and monster movies and a lot of the Reagan era stuff. Uh, but I just couldn't fit on the, on the list. But um, there was a, there is a newer film that I really struggled to try to find a place on this list, but it's Green Room from 2015. I'm not sure if you've seen this film or not. Um, Sounds familiar. Yeah, great great film starring Anton Yelchin. It's the punks versus neo-Nazis film where the this hardcore band goes to this like Pacific Northwest uh, bar out in the middle of nowhere to play a gig, and they don't really realize where they're going when they get there everyone there is kind of ingrained in this uh white supremacist um group out there and they witness them kill someone in the green room of the club and they get stuck in the green room and have to battle out all night trying to get out of the room with this neo-nazi gang outside the outside the uh the club yeah it's a fierce um flick and it came out in 2015 right when trump was running for president and so it was like the perfect kind of um film of that time when we were dealing this this rise of of white supremacy and nationalism in this country um yeah go check this one out it's it is intense damn yeah it sounds it uh, like i said it it sounded very very familiar um and that is most certainly a tense time in american <laughs> history um, yes. for sure all right well i also want to ask you if you made a top 10 movie list of your top 10 favorite movie genres would punk movies make that top 10 list? No, I don't think so. If it was oh, a you broke my heart. <laughs> if oh. it was a broader, broader numbered list, probably, but not uh not in top 10, no. Oh, <laughs> so sad, so sad. But I understand because there wasn't that many of them made, you know, because yeah, yeah. yeah, but the future is always possible. Plus, punk is never dead. Yeah, all right, all right. And a last one for you that we always end with a little bit of a two-parter for you firstly why is this list specifically important to you and secondly why should other people view this list as important as well yeah this is important to me because i think that um, not a lot not many musical genres are represented well in film i think a lot especially with hollywood films are they're exploiting the surge in popularity of something um so like the rock and roll films of the 50s are not as great not as great as uh real rock the experience of listening to rock and roll um they're not too many great hip-hop films there are some good ones but like uh it's again it's like kind of the cultures are kind of watered down for cinema and so i think at this point in time right as um punk is is exploding in the 80s there are these it's kind of a perfect storm of these great uh, indie filmmakers and um, some like exploitation producers who jumped on it, who did make really great films uh, and collaborated with people who were in the punk scene uh, to make these great films. And they kind of crossed over into different genres, whether thrillers or horror films or comedies or whatever. Um, and so a lot of these films are just really great, um, which is, you know, I do love punk as a as a uh, musical genre, but I think that a lot of these films really stand the test of time um that help support punk and so uh it's important to me that these films get seen and that you know we kind of remember that, that this time especially when we're also living in such a, a politically um you know emotionally heightened world right now that uh, we don't have a lot of films like this coming out showing uh people struggling um to deal with conformity or 
uh, dealing with the pressures, the political pressures of just trying to live in this country. And so um, I think if we're, our modern um, sensibility, we can learn a lot from these films. And I wish that people made, you know, more films like this today, um, which is why I think they're very important to me. And so um, I'm just hoping that if people see them, then they would create the same kind of art uh, for a new generation. I dig it. I dig it. And, you know, it's interesting to think, to, to jump off of what you said, you know, considering the political climate that we live in today, um, it's almost kind of interesting to me that punk hasn't made a comeback. Like, you, you know what I mean? Yes, I do. And if this is vague to listeners, then perhaps it's unintentionally intentional. <laughs> um <laughs> But really, to think about what is the the heart and the essence of of punk, and to to think that it's still sitting there on the fringes, on the sidelines, because being center stage was never what it was about. Um, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if. Well, granted, there is no radio anymore, and goodness knows YouTube trending videos is just kitty cats and Minecraft crap. But uh, you know. It wouldn't be too, too surprising if somewhere in the near future we would see some punk stuff trending. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be in, entirely surprised. Yeah, there's a really great community on Bandcamp uh, for punk, which is cool because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's designed as a place where people can upload their music without having to worry about record deals or, or um, streaming contracts. And so, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff, a lot of good hardcore bands out there today uh, utilizing Bandcamp. Uh, but I also think like, you know, a lot of these films warned us, these 80s films warned us about um, the, how corporations and, and politics were going to destroy everything and the conformity of um, American society was going to destroy everything. And so I think like in, in you know, in one way, um, those systems won out. There's more corporate, you know, corporate, you know, spread the homogenization of everything. It's kind of pushing everyone, if you're on the fringes, even further and further away from being able to, to have that um, that comeback like i come back to seriously affect pop culture um or the status quo and so i think it's even harder now to be that rebellious unless you're or to to be rebellious and then affect people in the mainstream as opposed to someone like you or i who are going out there seeking that kind of music um act actively looking for it and so yeah i think it is harder today to to have that impact on mainstream culture than it was you know back in the 70s and 80s Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, and you made me think, I wanted to ask you again, if if people, for listeners who want to check out these films, where might be some places they can find them for your top 10 list today? Oh, um, let's see. Uh, I think some of these might be very difficult to find. Some of them you can actually find on YouTube, uh, like Suburbia. I rewatched it for this lesson. It's on YouTube. You can watch it. It's pretty good quality for free. Uh, but Shudder has a couple of these. And... Um, maybe I would say Netflix or something like that, or uh, would have some of these other ones, but some of these are a little difficult to come by. Um, you may have to rent them on your local streaming service, like Apple TV or Amazon or something. That might be the best way to go about getting some of these. Or check your local library people. Yeah, yeah. Um, local libraries, you can always rent videos from them. And even if they don't yeah. have them at your branch, do the little online card catalog searching. Mm -hmm. And if it's mm -hmm. at another branch, they can send it to your branch yeah. for free. And you get an email notification of when it arrives and you get to rent it for free. But Absolutely, yeah. there is one qualifier there. 
you need a DVD player or a DVD drive on <laughs> your laptop. In order yes, to watch that. Yes, like yes, I tell you, yes. I, my, my laptops, I don't even purchase with, um, with DVD drives anymore, mm-hmm. CD drives. Like I just, I, I don't, yeah. um, they're not needed. They make laptops heavier and they make them more expensive too. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, also to the, to the point of all this, like what, to what you're saying is also, if you have like a local uh, video store, like please go support them because they're going to have stuff that your lo- your streaming services are never going to have. Um, but I will say just, even if you're not interested in it, uh, it is important to support um, physical media because of the, st- the way streaming is going. It's you're not you're not going to find everything that's ever made on a streaming service. Like they're they're getting highly uh, curated with their own content, and you can see the divisions going on. You can see what's happening with HBO Max now, um, firing people and writing off content as tax rights uh, write write offs, and like you're never going to see that quality that. that, uh, that that content that they're creating and so investing in physical media and playing on a player i know it takes up space and i know it's it's a little expensive it's not the price of streaming but that's the only way you're really going to be able to see the things that you want to see um without a corporate streaming giant telling you what you should be watching on their platforms yeah for real because they are the streaming platforms, this is such a punk conversation, by the way, people, because we're going <laughs> anti-streaming platform, but who cares? Let's do it. Um, the streaming platforms, they will buy content en masse uh, for very cheap. That's like unowned or, or the people, you know, if there's like a small production company that's about to go out of business and they have maybe 10,000 films that they're looking to sell bundled together and a streaming service can purchase them and then periodically put maybe a little bit here and there on and then take it off. But the streaming services goal is to create a platform that's aimed at acquiring new subscribers. And the way you acquire new subscribers isn't just like by your back catalog, it's about your new content. And it's about churning out new content to get new subscribers. And so these streaming platforms have it, they have an incentive to push all new stuff to get you to view all new stuff. And therefore they're not gonna take old stuff and put it on that regularly because they're not gonna get new subscribers because um, let's say Netflix, guess what? They add SLC Punk next month. I don't think anyone's gonna join Netflix because SLC Punk is on Netflix, but (laughs) they create some new content that can draw new subscribers. So like Gregory Day's right. There's a lot of this older content that's just being lost. Uh, and and we won't see it ever again, save for your local video store and library. <laughs> um, and even at libraries, you can request. They may not do it, but libraries, public libraries do it for books and for films. You can put in request for them to purchase the physical copies of them. And, and ask your librarian about it. They'll tell you, yeah, we do take requests for books to purchase and films to purchase. Um, and, you know, they see how many people want it each book or each film uh, and then they they choose like that so who knows you know maybe you can even get your library to purchase it for you anything more you want to go against establishment about and you want to punk out anymore or are we done with this one um no i think i'm good <laughs> <laughs> yes i know i know right i think everyone else is too they're like what the hell is going on and, and this is a punk is so long of a conversation it really is yeah. Um, but before we head out, I always like to ask you what you have going on lately at Hipsville AD that you can tell the listeners about. 
Yeah, I'm on a little uh, bit of a hiatus right now uh, between series, but uh, the my uh, long form series that went through most of this year, uh, Real Revenge, is wrapped up, and last piece is up on my Substack. So you go to badday.substack.com to check that out and go uh, read the whole series about revenge cinema. Um, uh, and I'll be back next month with some new content. Excellent, excellent. Yes, enjoy your break, my friend. Thank you. And that's Hipsville AD's top 10 list. Check out our friend Gregory Day online. Follow him everywhere. And interested in writing into the show? Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, myself on LinkedIn. Email us, people. Let your voice be heard. Always remember that Lo-Fi Poly is more than just me. It's the we that we be. Talk to you soon, Lo-Fi listeners. Pickering and Day, signing off. Adios. Adios.